Hi, I'm Deirdre Veldon and this is Confronting Coronavirus, a podcast on the COVID-19 outbreak. This week, we're back in the shops, with many retail outlets opening for the first time on Monday. And we're just delighted that IKEA is still back open, along with the other shops. That followed a frenetic few days of preparation by retailers trying to put in place new measures ahead of opening. There must have been at least some worry that customers might not show up in their numbers. And, on the other hand, that if they arrived in their droves, retailers wouldn't be able to cope. In the event, it seemed to be well organised and shoppers were happy to queue and observe the other restrictions that applied in the store. It's alright, it has to be done. Embrace the queue. Elsewhere, we're getting a sense of the restrictions that will apply to the hospitality and tourism industry here, including quite a few things we hadn't considered before. I believe the buffet breakfast is a thing of the past. Well, uh, in, in, in the form that it was um, up until now, yes, it is. It, is um, it will change. And is there a hint of possible flexibility on the two-metre rule? Or that hair salons might be able to open earlier than planned? I've hit record. Everything's good to go. Great. Connor Pope is Consumer Affairs Correspondent for the Irish Times. Connor, you were at IKEA and on Grafton Street as business got back underway on Monday. Who was out shopping and did they all have a desperate need to be there on that first day? Well, there was a, I suppose there was two different elements. First, if you, if you if you take the IKEA thing that was happening, I mean, I was there from nine o'clock on uh, Monday morning. Now, the shop wasn't due to open until 1030 uh, but it wasn't due to open for the main cohort until 11.30 because the first hour was given over to people who were elderly or vulnerable. So people had been in the queue when I arrived for more than three hours, which meant that they were looking forward to a five-hour wait to get into Ikea. Now, on one level, you'd say that's just an, 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 an absolute insanity. But the reality was that an awful lot of the people who were queuing to buy stuff in Ikea were people who'd maybe moved house just before the lockdown and they didn't have a stick of furniture. And some of the people I spoke to had been sleeping on mattresses for months because they hadn't been able to buy any furniture and they had this desperate need to go in and buy closets, buy beds, buy kitchens. Um, So there was that cohort of people in the IKEA queue and then there was people who were just there to buy bits and pieces in the same way that a lot of people go into IKEA. They'll go in and they'll buy their bookcases or their picture frames or whatever it might be and then, and I'm not going to lie, there was people who were just there because it was sport, because shopping is the great leisure pursuit amongst Irish people and an awful lot of people actually just like wandering around IKEA and then there was one poor unfortunate woman who was looking forward to her cup of tea and I didn't have the heart to tell her that there was going to be no tea available in IKEA and she queued for about two hours to get that tea. What, what was most in demand both at IKEA and, and in other retail outlets Connor? Well I mean funnily enough uh, in IKEA what people were looking to buy was uh, shelving and office furniture. Now that doesn't come as a big surprise because a lot of people are working from home and maybe they didn't expect to be working from home so they needed to buy that stuff. Uh, there was, And then when in the broader retail sense there was an awful lot of people queuing outside the sports shops in uh, in Dublin city centre so they were looking to buy their runners and their and their trainers and I've spoken to a couple of retailers the likes of Louis Copeland and Richard Barron who owns Pamela Scott uh, and they're saying that there was a there was a good demand for clothes and an awful lot of people were unsurprisingly buying summer clothes and I think one of the reasons for that is I mean obviously we've gone through a period of 10 days uh, last weekend that you know the weather was lovely um, and people were kind of saying oh I don't have I don't have this I don't have the clothes I need so there was a big 
demand for those kinds of clothes. There was a big demand for sportswear and probably because an awful lot of people have had nothing to do for the last 12 weeks except go running, except go walking. And they probably just said, I'm fed up looking at these skanky runners. I'd like a new pair. <laughs> Were any of the outlets you had tro- you visited having trouble with the with the new measures or and applying them? No, and I think that was one of the most encouraging things about Grafton Street in particular. It was almost normal in the sense that there was people walking the streets. It was busy, um, but there was none of that anxiety that I think we were seeing in the early stages in the supermarkets. Um, And the queues were being maintained properly and people were keeping their distances. Now, the one thing that was really striking was the almost total absence of face masks amongst shoppers. Now, to be fair, that could be because people might have been taking off their masks when they were outside and then reapplying them or putting them back on when they were in the shops. But certainly there wasn't that many people walking around that with face masks on. Um, and, you know, and in the queue in Ikea, as I say, it was split into two different queues, the queue for the elderly and the vulnerable. I'd say 80% of the people had face masks on. The queue uh, for people who were neither elderly or vulnerable, maybe 10, 15 percent of people had face masks. So, Connor, are we kidding ourselves that uh, we've realised the error of our consumer ways during lockdown? You know, I, I understand there was pent up demand for things that people really needed, but in most cases it was an elective activity. So what's motivating these people or is it is it a kind of a competitive sport in itself? I think people's consumption habits have changed and I think they've changed because most people were in lockdown for more than 66 days and that's the long established time period it takes for a habit to be formed and I think people's habits will change in the weeks ahead but having said that there are some people who really like and enjoy shopping. I think one of the things that retailers have said to me in the last 24-48 hours is that there's been a much more intense desire amongst people to shop local, to shop in the local retailers and to shop uh, buying Irish products. Um, Because I think people recognise that when times get really tough, one of the very few things that people can do to help other people who live and work in their communities is to keep the money local. Now, having said that, I also saw big queues outside H&M, big queues outside Zara. So I think people wear anxious to shop. And I, I think it's probably too early to say whether or not that's a sign that we're going back to the to the old ways of consumption that maybe existed pre-COVID-19. But I think an awful lot of people were just wanting to get out and about because they had, they'd had absolutely nothing to do for the last three months. We're quite good at queuing now as well and we've, we've perfected it over the last few months. What did you think of the, the discipline around the queuing systems in the places that, that you visited? I was amazed at how disciplined people were when it came to queuing because one of the things that you would have long said about Irish people is that we weren't great queuers. Like we're always running across the road when the traffic, when the, when the, the man is red, or we're always crowding around the bar demanding to get our drinks earlier than everybody else. We're not a queuing nation, but we seem to have become a queuing nation in the last 12 weeks and everybody was being pretty disciplined. And I'm not talking about older people, I'm talking about everybody, younger people, teenagers, people in their 20s. Everyone was respectful of other people's personal space and people were standing in line and just kind of accepting of the new reality, which is to queue. Uh, Some of the stores, of course, are British or other international multiples. Um, Did you get a sense from anyone queuing for those shops that the shop local message had got through? 
Well, there was a lot of people queuing outside Zara and there was a lot of people queuing outside H&M and there was a lot of people queuing outside the big multinational stores. Um, and those people were just going in to buy the stuff that they felt they needed at prices that they were willing to pay. Uh, and while I think people will talk about shopping local and I think there will be a change in consumption habits, which will see people maybe buying less, but buying better in the weeks and months ahead, there's always going to be a demand for that fast fashion, that uh, stock at high and sell it cheap kind of product. Um, so, you know, it came as no surprise that those shops were particularly popular. Um, and I don't think it'll come as any surprise to people on Friday when the great giant of the pile em high, sell em cheap world pennies reopens in Dublin. And I think that's going to be a whole different scenario. Um, when you were snooping around, uh, how did you find shops managing with people wanting to try on uh, items and so on? Well, actually, that was an interesting thing because a lot of the retailers I spoke to in advance of the reopening were saying that they did not anticipate there'd be any demand for people to use the changing rooms and they did not anticipate that people would be happy browsing the, the, the clothes and, and, and picking things up and, and, and touching things. Um, but as it turns out, people were very happy to use the changing rooms and people were very happy to browse the, the racks and they didn't seem to have any of the concerns that maybe people thought they might have. And I think one of the reasons for that is retailers have gone to fairly great lengths to ensure that the products are properly sanitized after each use so you know all the retailers i've spoken to have got uh, rules in place now whereby if you bring something into the changing room you try it on and you don't like it that item of clothing has to be quarantined for at least 24 hours and a lot of retailers are steaming those clothes to ensure that there's no virus uh, left on them so the steps have been taken and a lot of staff were wearing face masks and I think a lot of people were kind of reassured by what they were seeing. It was managed well and, it, you know, the, the retailers deserve credit. And in fairness, the shoppers deserve credit too because we need to kickstart the economy. And the way you kickstart the economy is by going out and spending what money you have. Meanwhile, Connor, uh, Fault Ireland and, and industry bodies uh, with the government are, are finalising guidelines this week for hotels, restaurants and self-catering. Uh, and so on. Um, under these guidelines, we'll have to become used to some very unnatural behaviour. Isn't that the case? Well, it's going to be very, very unnatural. And, and some of the guidelines that have been uh, outlined seem somewhat ludicrous. I mean, one of the things that leapt off the page at me was the notion that guests on the dance floors at weddings will be told to keep two metres apart under the new lockdown rules. Now, that takes me back to the days of this there's diocesan seminary school I went to in the 1980s when the slow dances at school discos were rigidly policed by priests and we were all told to keep our hands to ourselves and that's the kind of thing that we're now being told again that if you go to a wedding you can't dance more than two meters next to the next person that seems almost impossible to enforce but you know I think one of the things is the guidelines have to be seen to be all-encompassing and covering every eventuality some of the other things that do make sense for instance, restaurants are going to be asked to verbally tell customers what's on the menu. So there won't be any exchange of menus from waiters to st to diners and back again. And, you know, waiters will be expected to outline all of the options on the menu, which will be very challenging for a lot of restaurants that have big menus. And um, there's other things that have been introduced. So, for instance, hotels will be expected to have doors that will either open automatically or they'll have to have staff deployed at the doors to open them so that uh, guests don't come into contact with the doors so there's no, none of those high touch points mini bars are going to be emptied um 
guests and spas will be offered what, what's called an express stress management treatment instead of therapies that involve touch, um, while people using hotel pools will be asked to book time slots in advance and all of the loungers that you might see in a hotel pool will be taken away. Um, it seems like a little bit of a grim experience, I have to say, and I think there's going to be a big challenge there amongst hotel hoteliers and restaurateurs to make the experience pleasant for diners because people are spending a lot of money going to a hotel or they're spending a lot of money going to a restaurant and they don't want it to be this drab colorless affair where everybody is afraid to come within two meters of anybody else lest they spread the virus so it's going to be a real challenge for the industry i was very disappointed to see that there will be no more cocktail umbrellas (laughs) yeah embellishments like cocktail umbrellas will be minimized um so they're going to, and by minimised, I would I would expect to see them gone. So your pina colada, that's no more. Uh, all the, all the other things that have been introduced uh, um, have been, for instance, at weddings, the canapes will have to be served individually, and there'll be no more shared bowls of vegetables. Um, salt and pepper will only be available on request, and like it it gets down into the real nitty gritty of running an operation like that. And as I say, it's as I said, it seems like it's going to be extremely difficult to police in the same way that it was. Like one of the measures, one of the the freedoms that people have this week that they didn't have last week is, you know, grandchildren can can visit their grandparents in in their own in their homes. But people have been urged to not let their grandchildren hug their grandparents. Now, that's going to be absolutely impossible to police in the same way as asking people to dance on a dance floor two metres apart from the next person is going to be absolutely impossible to police. Apart from the fact that when people are dancing to every breath you take by the police, they're kind of a little bit wild. Uh, But there'll also be drink taken. uh, And it just seems like it's going to be a big, big challenge. And I'm not sure anybody will ever be able to rise to that challenge. Connor, maybe in your role as a consumer expert, you could tell us what exactly is a substantial meal, which is is now what will apply in in the case of of pubs from from the 29th of June. Yeah, this is an interesting thing, because, of course, uh, uh, pubs will be allowed to reopen if they serve what's been classified as a substantial meal. And again, this takes me back to the, the 80s and 90s in Ireland, when the only way a nightclub could have a late licence was if it served a substantial meal. Um, and what a lot of nightclubs did was they would serve some rice, something that was described as curry, uh, on a plate, and that was deemed sufficiently substantial to, for, to allow them to get away with having the late licence. It could be that exactly the same thing will apply in in this scenario, whereby pubs will be serving like ostensibly hot food that really doesn't take a whole lot of time and effort to put together. So they will be able to serve drinks as well, you know, but I but I do think that maybe people will be and I'm when I say people, I'm not just talking about the, the punters, I'm talking about the staff and I'm talking about the owners. I think people will try and be somewhat more responsible now and they will be looking for uh, measures that will protect themselves and protect their customers because the thing that people do not want is they don't want a second wave to come fast on the tracks of the uh, on the back of the first wave because then we ha- will have to start the whole spiral again even though it'll be done differently I, I suspect I suspect it the second time around but what people are really hoping for is that we will continue to progress in the days and weeks ahead with the number of cases the number of deaths the number of seriously ill people falling and that way we will slowly start to get back to normal. For restaurants, Connor, the the big issue uh, all along has been the uh, the distance customers uh, will be required to 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 uh, maintain uh, from each other. That's at two meters at the moment. Yes, I there has, and I think what what an awful lot of restaurateurs and publicans are saying is that they just cannot open 
if they have to maintain the two metre social distancing uh, guidelines. So a lot of countries across the European Union have moved from two metres to one metre and that has a phenomenal impact on the number of people you, you're allowed serve or the number of people you're allowed bring into your restaurant or bring into your pub. So I would imagine that the pressure that is brought to bear on the government and on um, the, 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 the health authorities in Ireland will be quite significant. And again, if, if it can be shown that the one metre rule is working in keeping the the virus contained in other European countries, I think it would be very foolish and foolhardy of um, the, the, the authorities here to insist on a two-metre rule. But I think one of the things, and I think the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar outlined this, as did Simon Harris at the press conference last Friday, we are in a position that we can learn from what is happening in Italy and what is happening in Spain and Germany and the Nordic countries as they exit the lockdown slightly ahead of us so we can see what's working for them and what the danger points are and then we we, we can uh, move accordingly i think in the early stages it's very much a cautious 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 approach but i think things will relax perhaps faster than we anticipated uh, as we see the experience of other countries not leading to a significant spike in new cases of illness finally connor and i know this may be a very little concern to you but what about the hair salon <laughs> Well, you know, I've actually, I've written a lot about the hair salons in in recent days and I think our news editor is punishing me by sending me to cover the hair salon story because clearly it is of zero interest to me. I haven't been in a hairdresser's for about 25 years. But having said that, I do sympathise with them and I empathise with their plight because one of the points that the hairdressers in Ireland are making is that the average time that the salons were closed in other countries in Europe was between six and eight weeks. And if the roadmap exists uh, as it is currently outlined and continues as it's currently outlined in Ireland, hairdressers will be expected to stay closed for 14 or 18, between 14 and 18 weeks. Now they have put all the measures in place. They've put in the measures for PPE, they've put in the measures for contact tracing, they they have all the things that they need to get up and running. And I actually do think that Simon Harris appears to be more sympathetic to them now uh, than than he, he was than he was sounding a couple of, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, so I, I would be I would be surprised if hairdressers weren't given the green light to reopen sooner than anticipated. And you know what? I think it's an important step because not only is it uh, providing employment for tens of thousands of Irish people, there is also the the psychological impact that uh, having your hair done can have on people. And I've spoken to people about this this at great length, and it's it's both a social thing. And it's a psychological thing, and I think people need that kind of lift in their lives. And if that's what it t- if if that's what it takes, and if it can be proven that it can be done safely, well, then I think it should be done, and it should be done fast. Connor, thanks very much. My thanks to Declan Conlon who produced today's podcast, and thanks for listening. Stay up to date with the latest developments at IrishTimes.com. We'll be back later in the week. <laughs>